Over all of the tests that we've done over the last two quarters, we saw like a 4% lift in revenue across customers where we've tested out. We were using a DSSM model before this, but moving from that to transformers, that's been the average lift. And it wasn't like a single like go from DSSM to transformers and you get that lift. It was like you go to that first version of transformers. I think we first saw like a one and a half percent lift. And then as we started to improve the way that we were using transformers, it got bigger and bigger. Welcome to the Unleashing AI podcast, hosted by Pavel Fakanov. Join us as we speak with industry experts and explore the wonders of innovative, custom-built AI and how it can help grow your business, whilst also delving into the latest developments in the fields of machine learning and artificial intelligence. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Unleashing AI podcast. I'm your host, Pavel Fakanov, and joining me today is Ellie Finkelstein, the founder and CEO of Constructor, an AI-first search and discovery platform that actually optimizes for business results. And Constructor company actually raised over $60 million. Congratulations on that. And Ellie is also an advisor to Moo Ventures, early stage venture capital firm investing in the future of e-commerce. Ellie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Also, you might be the one person in the entire world who got my last name right. <laughs> you got it perfect. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, sure. Again, we have a background, worked together for some time. So <laughs> obviously. And yeah, obviously I just have given you introduction, but I think it would be helpful in case you also can spend just a couple of minutes, just introduce yourself, tell everybody about what you're doing in the AI space, about the company, what you guys are doing, really high level. Yeah, happy to. So my background's in data science. I got my master's in computational linguistics and have been working in either that or data science ever since. What I do now is I work at a company called Constructor. I'm, I'm one of the co-founders of it. We're a product discovery and search platform for large e-commerce companies. So what that means is if you go onto a website like Sephora.com or AmericanEagle.com or Petco.com and you're searching for something or you're browsing for something, or you're seeing recommendations, what products they wind up showing you are going to be personalized to you, they're going to be attractive to you, and they're going to be optimizing for the business metrics that you most care about. And that's our job. Our job is making sure that those results that are coming back to you fit those three criteria. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And I do think what you guys are doing is one of the great examples of AI applications, because I would say it has one of the most important components. It's actually connected to business results. And even when we had the chance to work together two years ago, I still remember that you still were doing it already, but you were in the beginning of that journey. So you actually started optimizing for different business results. So people who are using your platform, they can specifically say, okay, I want to optimize that business metric. And you guys can help them. Exactly. At least in my opinion, it's one of the biggest things that's missing from AI, especially when it goes into hype cycles. People look at something and they're like, oh, that looks cool. And they slap it onto the website and they don't think about the effect that it'll have. And I just think that leads to these up and down hype cycles where people put something on there, it looks cool, and then they realize it doesn't actually do what they wanted it to do. And I'm a big proponent of measuring the business impact. Like AI should be a means to an end. Okay, you actually brought a really interesting topic around hype in the AI space, which is a really good topic specifically for like our time right now. Just the tiniest bit. Yeah. So let's say how companies actually can decide if it makes sense for them to actually use AI or they're just using it for hype. I mean, I think it starts with deciding on what's the business goal. Like, what do you want to solve for? 
So is it you want people to download more of your mobile app? You've got like some cool feature in there and you believe that it'll do that. Is it that you think it'll directly increase your revenue? If you're using something like our solution, like I hope that we could do that. Is it that you want users to come back more often? Whatever it is, you decide on what you're looking to achieve ahead of time. You make the hypothesis and you have a reasonable belief that whatever AI solution you're putting in can help you with that hypothesis. And then you find a way of measuring it. Like, I think that's one of the biggest, most important things about AI. Like, it's pretty statistically based. If it's not, then you're probably doing something weird. Basically, anything that you're doing with it, there's a very good chance that you can measure it. And at least in my opinion, you should. Okay, but I would say measuring AI or why also can be quite a complex task. You can conduct an A-B test. Before using AI, that's the kind of metric you actually got after using AI. But at the same time, it's not always clear how to calculate investments into AI. It can become quite complex, to be honest. Like you can spend on engineers, you can spend on consultants, you can spend on setting up data infrastructure. And all of that actually can be split between multiple AI projects you're doing. So it's not always clear how to calculate that ROI. But I really like the topic that you brought up about actually understanding the business metric first and understanding what you're actually trying to optimize, because I would say 90% of people do it the opposite way. They see ChatGPT and they just, okay, we need to apply it in our product. Doesn't really matter what it's going to do. Yeah, exactly. What's their ChatGPT strategy or something? Yeah, we just need to apply it because again, it's hype. Everybody does it. We also need to do it right now. Exactly. So you guys started applying AI in e-commerce space is it like six, seven years ago, I suppose? We've been around for eight years for what it's worth. One of the unique things about us is that we built everything from scratch. So we're not built on like a keyword engine. What that meant is it just took a much longer period of time to build the thing. And then we've been selling the product for about four and a half years now. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And you guys basically started doing it eight years ago, probably like even before the first wave of the hype around AI. And... We obviously can think about multiple AI applications in e-commerce space. One of them can be, let's say, recommendations. Another one can be search discovery. Can you provide, based on your expertise, based on your knowledge of the space, a couple of examples that most people are actually overseeing and don't even think about, but examples that also can bring a lot of ROI to different businesses? I like a lot of the things that people are doing within fraud detection. I think that's one of the areas where people proved it out pretty early. And it made a ton of sense. Like you can measure very easily there as well. Like if you're getting less fraud, then you know that you're doing well. There's a company there, for example, called Signified that now they're bigger. I've got a lot of respect for. I think they were one of the early ones that really focused on the measurement. But really anybody that take AI and at least in my opinion, they use it the right way. I think there's a lot of companies, on the other hand, that use it the wrong way, where you'll see like brains with neural networks like built within them and robots and stuff like that. And it's all about AI can do anything. And then like you actually install one of the products and it doesn't do even the basics. And you're like, okay, you know, this is a marketing person that clearly is very, very good at their job, but the product doesn't actually do any of the things that it promises. So I like focus, I like measurement, and I like proving that the product actually does what it says on the tin. And yeah, to be honest, I can 100% confirm what you have just said, because again, when we had a chance to actually work together, I felt it like 100%. So you, you guys actually were measuring almost everything and actually had that approach to understand first what kind of business metric you actually want to optimize. And after that, actually starting the execution process. Yep. Thank you. 
well, we still do that. I hope that we do that for as long as the company exists. Yeah. And yeah, Ellie, you actually brought up another really interesting topic about mistakes people actually make while using AI. We have already discussed one of them. So they don't understand the business metric first. But in case, let's say you have a few more examples of common mistakes businesses actually make before starting using AI, it would be really great to discuss them. I guess I'd put it into a couple of categories. One of them is if you're using AI because of the hype or because your boss says like you have to use AI for something, I don't think that's ever going to wind up turning out well. I think that we've been through a number of AI hype cycles already. And basically every time that people wind up souring on it, it's for a reason like that. At least in my opinion, you basically buy into it because of the hype, because of marketing, because of whatever. And then they'll wind up doing something, but they won't really think through what are they trying to achieve with it. Or the thing that they're trying to achieve with it is making their boss happy, but that'll only get you so far. I think the other issue with it is that, and this is like an older issue, it's existed for a very long time. I think the concept of an A-B test winds up giving people a lot of trouble. And that's probably a controversial thing to say, but... I think that there were a number of A-B testing companies that kind of convinced everybody maybe like 10 years ago or so that A-B testing is easy and anybody can do it. And they're not talking about issues that you can have with bias and distribution. They're not talking about like outlier detection, like all of this stuff that you need to do to make sure that an A-B test is actually run correctly. They'll just give you a chart that shows like one of them beating the other or not. And I think for that reason, a lot of people do A-B tests, but they're not doing them correctly and they've never really audited it. And so I think that's the second problem where if you wind up using AI and you're doing everything the right way and you've got this business metric that you say you want to optimize for, but your A-B testing system is broken and you don't realize it, you're going to wind up A-B testing. You'll see one of the variants win, the AI win or whatever. And then you're not going to wind up seeing the benefits in your actual results afterwards. And an executive is eventually going to notice that. And then that's, you know, when the AI winter comes. And I feel like these things have been cyclical for like, I mean, longer than I've been alive, where like there'll be an AI hype and then an AI winter afterwards because it doesn't meet the hype. And I think those are probably the two biggest reasons why, at least in my opinion. This is really amazing. And maybe I would mention kind of like a similar case to the second problem you mentioned. I would say most companies, again, early stage companies, smaller companies, they don't even do A-B tests. So they kind of just, okay, we have, let's say, AI model, so we can just start using it and it will work out somehow. Obviously, like in case you're talking about enterprises, bigger companies, yeah, they usually have a technological culture to use actually A-B tests. But for smaller companies, not the case at all. So in case you're a smaller company, the first step is probably just start using A-B tests. And after that, as Ellie mentioned, actually try to set it up the right way. So you're actually understanding does AI bring value to your company or maybe it doesn't. We work in the enterprise retail space and you'd be surprised by the number of companies where like there's an A-B testing team. They've been there for a very long time. It's trusted what they're doing. And then you ask them to run an AA test. And if they agree, you see like the two A cells don't match. Okay, so like all of the A-B tests that you've done for the last like who knows how many years, they're kind of all tainted then. That's not something that you ever want to be witnessing as a business because it's politically very painful. And it usually means you have lost a lot of money. So you made a lot of not right decisions based on not the right data. Yeah, it just, I mean, essentially random. Like they might have, some of them might have been right. You just don't really know because your A-B testing system was broken. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. And completely different topic I would like to discuss. So you guys, 
obviously one of the leaders in product discovery and search space. And I think it would be really interesting to discuss really high level how product recommendation system is actually working, how search system and product discovery system is working. And maybe we also can mention what kind of challenges you guys actually were facing and probably facing right now once actually building that complex system. Yeah, so we went at this a little bit differently than, as far as I know, at least every other company. Everybody else within the space is built on essentially a keyword engine. And that's true for like most open source as well. Although now you're starting to see some vector engines, which is, I think, a good thing and very cool. But you look at like Solar or Elasticsearch or anything Lucene-based, it's a keyword engine underneath. For anybody listening who doesn't know what that is, it's basically just like a way to match on keywords. So you see a keyword in the query, and then you also see it within a product catalog. And you say like, okay, well, both these things have the word butter in them, so we should match. And you don't pay attention to one of them being a search for butter and the other one actually being peanut butter. So it's not actually a very good match. Instead of starting off in that place, what we really said is e-commerce is different. And there's this attribute about it that I think is really interesting, which is you have a very well-defined idea of what a conversion is. So if we're comparing e-commerce search to, let's say, search on something like Google, if I'm trying to understand if somebody had a successful search on Google, it's actually kind of difficult, right? Like if they click on something, maybe that means they found what they were looking for. Maybe it means that they clicked and they actually didn't like what they saw. If they do another search, maybe that's an indication that they didn't like what they saw the first time, but maybe it's a completely unrelated search and it means they actually found what they were looking for. And so deciding like what a conversion actually is, it's not super straightforward, at least in my opinion. If you're looking at e-commerce though, like a conversion is actually very well defined. It's does somebody buy something? If somebody buys something, the e-commerce company is never going to be upset about it. Like they're never going to be like, ah, you know, like this stinks, like the person found something that they wanted. So because of that, you can actually make the clickstream really be a first-class citizen. And so instead of taking that classic approach of focusing most on keyword matching or taking an approach started in like 2013 or so that's becoming popular as now of vector search, which I think has its place as well, but you still have the problem that you might be showing people things that they don't necessarily want to buy, right? Like just because something is conceptually related in vector space, it's like you search for chips and you get like a potato back. Are they like conceptually related? Like, sure, they're both made out of potatoes, but no one's buying that potato when they search for chips. If you look at the clickstream instead, you can see all of this stuff. So for us, the clickstream was really the main thing. If the clickstream indicates that something is attractive to shoppers, then we want to show it. And if it doesn't, then like it doesn't matter if it's matching on keywords. It doesn't matter if it like matches on concepts within vector space. Don't show it to the user because the indication is that they're not going to want to buy it. And so that was where we started and I think our disagreement with the market. And it's also why we care so much about measuring things. All of this stuff can make sense in theory, but I'm not the best marketer in the world. I'm probably never going to be the best marketer in the world. And so if a customer hears me talking about Clickstream and then they see somebody else with a robotic looking brain or something like that, talking about how much AI they do, maybe some of them will believe the marketer and I wouldn't blame them. Like it's better marketing, but that's why I'm like, just measure it. Like that way you don't need to decide who you're going to believe. Like you just measure it. And if one of us wins on revenue, then that's wonderful. And if we don't, then you probably shouldn't buy us. <laughs> yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And yeah, what I really like is how simple you actually can explain such complex concepts. Because thank you. in case I would ask someone, it's an engineer first. You obviously like engineer as well, but let's say engineer who is actually working in your company, they would start telling me about, let's say, all this complex approaches they're actually using about all of these algorithms they're actually using right now. 
but you actually can explain it in a really simple way. So business people actually can understand, okay, that's a conceptual problem that almost nobody was noticing on the market. And again, it seems like that worked out really well for you guys. Again, you basically noticed it like in the very beginning, okay, people are not actually doing it the right way. Why don't we start doing it the right way? I really appreciate that. That's incredibly kind of you to say. Yeah, sure. One of the last questions I actually would love to ask is about the future of AI in e-commerce space. So right now, we obviously can see AI is developing extremely fast. And you're obviously working in this space. You can see a lot of companies, the way they actually use AI, you're developing internal AI tools inside your organization. So would be really interested in your opinion, what kind of trends you actually can see right now, what kind of forecasts we actually can make about applications of AI in the e-commerce space. There's a innovation within AI from a few years back called Transformers that I'm very excited about. For anybody who's not familiar with them, you probably have heard of ChatGPT. So the T in ChatGPT stands for Transformer. And basically what it is, is it's an innovation over vector search, which was kind of like the state in the art of matching concepts before, where it lets you understand the context of words to each other much better than traditional vector search did. Like technically, it's still a form of vectors without getting too technical about it. Basically, like an example of something that you could do with a transformer that you wouldn't have been able to do with classic vector search is understanding how a preposition relates to a word. As an example, if I search for like a flight from Seattle to Denver, understanding what somebody's real meaning there is would have been difficult for traditional keyword searching. Like you just match on the cities and like it doesn't really matter what the order is. It'd be difficult for traditional vector search. But with transformers, like it would really give you an understanding of the two defines. You, know, you want to go from that first place to that second place. And within e-commerce, it's especially exciting for me because there are often complicated needs that people have. You know, maybe you want to find like a present for your five-year-old daughter's birthday that's like clothing and will fit her well for a snowy day or something like that. That's a complicated thing to express to a traditional product discovery engine. But if you type in something like that into ChatGPT as an example, it can actually understand what you mean. And the reason it can understand what you mean is that idea of transformers. So I'm pretty excited about their general application. It's something that we've been playing around with for about the last two years. And I personally think that we're still scratching the surface about what's possible there. And you actually see that it's working out right now. Let's say you're actually using transformers and you actually can see, okay, it brought us better business results than previous models we were using. Yeah. So take this with a grain of salt because the way that we're using them right now is still, I think, much lighter than what you see in ChatGPT, for example. Like, I don't think we're there yet, but we are starting to use them in a more basic way, essentially. But the initial results that we've been seeing with it. So if I remember right, over all of the tests that we've done over the last few quarters, we saw like a 4% lift in revenue across customers we've tested out moving from, we were using a DSSM model before this, but moving from that to transformers, that's been the average lift. And it wasn't like a single, like go from DSSM to transformers and you get that lift. It was like, you go to that first version of transformers. I think we first saw like a one and a half percent lift. And then as we started to improve the way that we were using transformers, it got bigger and bigger. And yeah, for reference, like for people actually not in this space who don't know what 4% in this case actually means, it's huge. Like for company that actually has been doing, let's say, AI applications for eight years, and after that, they can provide 4% in additional revenue increase, it's huge. Tremendous update. Thank you. I think there's still a lot more there, though. That's the thing that I'm excited about. Obviously. Yeah. Hello. Again, 
Thank you very much. I specifically enjoyed the part you mentioned about common mistakes businesses actually make once applying AI. And I think your perspective is really helpful here because most business owners actually forget about it. So they just apply AI. They don't think about it in a practical way. And just to, again, remind everyone, two most common mistakes. The first one, you're not actually measuring the way you're applying AI. So you don't understand what kind of business metric you're trying to optimize. And the second one, you're just following the hype. And that's it. Yeah, or you're measuring incorrectly. Yeah. Ellie, again, thank you very much. Really enjoyed the conversation. And thank you very much for sharing your wisdom with our audience. Thank you very much for having me here. It was good to see you. The Unleashing AI podcast is brought to you by Unleashing AI. To find out more about Unleashing AI and how innovative, custom-built AI can help your business, visit unleashing.ai. Also, make sure to search for Unleashing AI in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Unleashing AI, thank you for listening.